You see, the idea conveyed in chapter 2, verse 18, and I think the commentary on that here in chapter 3. So the story moves from one man's dream, as Nehemiah had perhaps envisioned what he desired to see happen here in the city of Jerusalem with the wall being rebuilt, to the point of an actual mobilization of the masses. Well, I entitled my message this morning, Success Received and Achieved. Success Received and Achieved. Received in the the sense of, again, as Nehemiah spoke to the enemies there in chapter 2, verse 20. So I answered them and I said to those, Sanballat and company, his word to them was this, the God of heaven will give us success. So there's a sense in when which Nehemiah realizes that success, success is something here that God is to give to us. Any, if anything is to be accomplished of any significance, it must be God's grace, God's power. So look into Him that the God of heaven will give and we will receive this gift of success from God. And yet at the same time we get to chapter 3, realize that this is very much a hands-on project. It is success in a real sense achieved. It's accomplishments by the hands of men and women who, who take this task task on here. It actually involves the moving of stones, the resetting of stones, and in some cases having to tear down a few things so that you can rebuild it right, rebuild it well. It actually involves the build the building and the city of up of gates. Now, how does all this take place? What's, what's at work here? Well, this, the text here does not specifically mention it. But there are other times in the Word of God, in particular in the Old Testament, as we see great things to be achieved by men that God is at work giving His Spirit to enable workers to accomplish great things. And I think that we can testify that what we see here is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God moving in the hearts of men and women. Look back with me very quickly to Exodus chapter 28. Just going to look at a couple of passages here and then come right back to Nehemiah chapter 3. Exodus chapter 28. Of course, this is Exodus is dealing with the building of the tabernacle and all the parts of that, all that was involved in the preparation for that as God has given instructions to Moses. Exodus chapter 28 and verse 3. And you will speak to all the skillful persons. This is Moses' job. You go speak to these skillful people. These people who are skilled for this task, whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom, that they make here in particular deal with Aaron's garments. They make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister as priest to me. Then Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31, verses 2 and 3. I'll well, back up just off the first of the chapter. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called... By name, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze. So we see God at working when even when there was a great task to be done, it was involved the labor of men's hands. It is still the spirit of God at work in and through these men. And I think we can safely say as we look at our text here today that it is the Spirit of God moving upon the hearts of the masses to have a part in this work of rebuilding 
this wall. Well, how does God give this success? Well, it's not so much by the moving of stones. You know, God doesn't come down and miraculously start moving things around by the hands of men and women who, who take this task very seriously. We look to the Spirit of God to move upon the hearts of men because we know that He must do so. But what might we expect to see? For the Spirit of God is moving. What might be the things that we expect to see? It's interesting as we look at this chapter that the description that's given to us here of the work in Nehemiah chapter 3 is strikingly similar to what we've considered earlier in Ephesians regarding the New Testament church. Well, first of all, we might expect to see, and we do see here, the power of unity. We saw that in Ephesians, didn't we? Unity, unity of spirit. The power of unity in spirit. The turnout for the task that Nehemiah has laid before the people indicates that once envisioned, there was a spirit of unity among these people. As Nehemiah, as he, as he spoke, and more than just his words, but we believe the spirit of God working likewise in the hearts as he spoke. This is what God has done. They, they grasped that vision. And there was a spirit of unity to see the work of work accomplished. By God's grace through them. They were united in purpose. Each had a task. If you read through this. And again we're not going to take the time here. But it begins here at the sheep gate in chapter 3. Verse 1. That Elisha the high priest arose with his brothers. The priest and built the sheep gate. They consecrated and hung the doors. They consecrated the wall to the tower of the hundred. And the tower of Hananel. And next to him. The men of Jericho built. And next to them. Zachur the son of Emery built. Then in verse 4, And next to them, Merimeth, the son of Uriah, the sons of Hakkas, made the repairs. And next to him, Meshulam. You love all these names, don't you? Don't you just like how quickly I can just read through this? <laughs> you can feel free to correct me anytime you want. <laughs> um, just in that case, that there was a oneness and purpose. They had an area of responsibility. This is my area of responsibility, yet at the same time recognizing it was all one great work. That was to rebuild. And as each one applied themselves, you know how quickly this was accomplished? This was a, a massive undertaking here. To come in and try to rebuild a wall. And in some places they were able to build upon the old. Some places they, they had to redirect. And there's debate of even exactly where this wall was built. Because some of these areas, if you go through and you try to diagram, you know, where is this part? Where is this part of the wall? Uh, we don't know. And so I'm not going to spend any time trying to figure all that stuff out. But just suffice it to say this, that when they put their hands to the task in 52 days, in 52 days, it was done. That's given to us in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. Each one applied because there was a oneness in purpose. There was a oneness in their task. As we see, I just read a few verses. We see that, that phrase, next to him, next to him, next to them, next to these. And later in the last part, the phrasing changes somewhat. But after him and after these. Just like an assembly line here, group after group. But they were united. There was no focus on who is where. You know, I don't want this guy next to me. There's no focus there. This is my area. This is my task. I will give myself to that. And it's all done. It begins in chapter 3, verse 1. Eliashib the high priest arose with his brothers, the priest, and built the sheep gate. There it starts at the sheep gate. You go through, you come all the way back down to the end of the chapter, the last verse. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 32. Where are we? Between the upper room of the corner and the sheep gate. 
That's it. That's the city. It encompasses the city. Wherever they were built on this wall. Because there was the power here of the unity in spirit. And what a picture. What a picture that is to us of the church. When there's the unity of God's spirit. Where we're united around a common purpose. What's the common purpose that we're united around? Or common purposes? Let me give you a few. We're united around this purpose. The glory of God in all things. We want God to be honored, God to be glorified, God to be made known over my personal interests, over my personal desires. It's not about what I am or what I can do. It is all about we want God's glory. We unite in our hearts around that central truth. Also, we have the advancing of God's kingdom. We're united in that purpose. That our desire is to see the kingdom of God develop more and more within us as individuals that we mature in the faith, but likewise that we see the kingdom of God advancing in the hearts and lives of others outside of our walls, that we be a part of communicating Christ with a lost and dying world. So we're united in that purpose of advancing the kingdom of God, advancing that kingdom by our lives, by the way that we live, by the fact that people can look at us and And know that the lives that we've lived before them gives testimony of the grace of God within our hearts. Not only by our lifestyle, but by our words. You know, sometimes we have that tendency to focus, well, I live Christian life by my life. I don't say a whole lot. Sometimes that's appropriate. Sometimes there's a good need for a dose of boldness and courage to speak forth the truth. We need to speak the words. How is it that men and women are brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Listen, it's not my lifestyle. It's not my lifestyle. It's by the gospel message proclaimed. Hearing truth. Now it may be through reading, but how is what's the Spirit of God use? He uses truth. So there must be a communication of truth. There's times that there needs to be the speaking forth of the words. So the people are very clear. This isn't about me. This is about the grace of God at work because Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. So united in this purpose, the glory of God, united in the advancement of God's kingdom, united in this purpose as we gather together as people of God, and that is the edification of God's people. We're united in that purpose. That's one of the reasons we're here today, is that we might edify, build one another up in the faith, to encourage one another in the faith. And that is why when you're absent, when you're absent, it speaks volumes. It does. Where is the ministry of edification when we absent ourselves? So we we see as a priority, as one of the purposes here, we're united in this purpose. We are going to edify the people of God, build them up, serving, rather than being served. You know, so many people are there, look at church and they look at, well, what can I get from this? What's this church going to give me? But we trust that we can give you things here. We trust that we can give you a, a passion for the things of God and, a, and a, a love for the Word of God. We trust that we can give you that. But we also recognize that when God brings people into the body of Christ, that there is a mutual benefiting. There is the recognizing that I, not, I do not come just to have my, quote, needs met, but I come that I might meet the needs of others. Service. So we unite in those purposes, in these, in these things, that God's spirits, God's spirit, 
unites us. There's the power of unity in the Spirit of God. The second thing we see is there's the president, the presence of diversity in service. I think I have skill on the bulletin. This actually should be service. The presence of diversity in service. It's readily apparent as you read through this chapter, which again, we're going to make a note of some things, just draw your attention to a few things. But this is a very diverse group at work here. They're very diverse in their representation. The first verse, well, here's, the, here's the religious representation. The high priest is there. Eliashib, the high priest, is there at work. You have civil Leaders, the officials it speaks of, for example, in verse 9. Next to him, Raphael, the son of Hur. Who is he? Well, he's the official of half the district of Jerusalem. And he's at work here making repairs. Verse 12. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahash. Who's he? Well, he's the official of the other half. You know, let's bring in our city council and our mayor and all this. We've got a job to get done. Let's... Let's get these people involved. These are we have. We have the officials of the city. Verse 14. Malchajah, the son of Rechab, the, the official of the district of beth Hacharim, repaired the refuse gate. Verse 17. The Levites carried out repairs under Rahim, the son of Levi. And then next to him, Hashabiah, the official of half the district of Calah. And then verse 18. You have the official of the other half of the district. So you got all these important people there, but you have religious leaders, you have civil leaders, the officials of the city, of these areas. There are those who are there by different associations. Some come by the regions where they're from. Verse 2. Next to him, a man, a group of men from Jericho came and worked on this section. Oh, this is the men of Jericho section at work here. Verse 5 talks about the Tekoites. They came. People from Tekoa, where uh, Amos, in fact, was, was from. Some came by families. Again, verse 1, it says, The high priest came. The Elijah, the high priest, arose with his brothers. They came to do work. Verse 3, Now the sons of Hassanah, the sons of Hassanah, their brothers, they're at work, at work here. Then look down in verse 12. Next to him, Shalom, the, the son of Halasheth, the official of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. He and his daughters. His daughters come and work. Some come as individuals. Verse 2, Zachar comes. Verse 4, Merimoth and Zadok come. Just listed, they're listed to us here as mere individuals. Come, some come by in groups by their occupation. Uh, verse 22. <laughs> Stay with me here. Verse 22, after them the priest came and they had a pair. This is the, the area the priest work on. This is their designated wall. Temple servants of Ophel, verse 26. Verse 32 speaks of the, the upper room of the corner of the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out repairs. So some work by their, their associations. This is where the merchants and the goldsmiths decided, let's go as a group here, as an association, and we're going to do this part of the wall. Some come with a variety of interests. The priest, in verse 1, they work at the sheep gate. What's so important about that? Well, it's a likely place for the priest to come and to work. It's the place where the sheep are brought into the city for sacrifice in the temple, which is nearby. So it's very appropriate that the priest would work in this given area. But it also talks about, look down in verse 10. 
Next to them, Jediah, the son of... I bull these names. Haramath made repairs where? Opposite his house. Then in verse 21, after him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakkaz, repaired another section from the doorway of Eliashib's house, even as, even as far as the end of his house. Verse 23, after them, Benjamin and Hashib carried out repairs in front of their house. Verse 23, the last part of that, and the son of Ananiah carried out repairs beside his house. What do we see here? We see they come and they work in the areas. They have a particular interest in my house is next to this part of the wall. I'll work here. So Nehemiah comes in and he directs them to do that. He's very comfortable with that. There are those that they had specific interest in specific areas of the wall. And it was a natural fit. So they go to work in those areas. There's a, certainly a great variety here in ability. Some who came in, and it says that they did one section. Verse 20, <clears throat> after him, Baruch, the son of Zebiah, zealously repaired another section. He's already, he's already done one part. And he comes in and he does another part of the wall. Verse 21, after him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakkaz, repaired another section. So there's varying degrees. Well, directly there, verse 24, verse 27, verse 30, the same idea that there are those who stepped up and they, they did one part of repairing the wall and they moved to another section. What do we see here? See, Nehemiah didn't go out and recruit the specialists. He didn't go out and recruit the wall builders. Let's go get a few masons here or whatever, the bricklayers or whatever. Let's get the specialists involved here. No, he didn't do that. Uh, what we have here is a hodgepodge of workers. This is the, uh, if you think about it, this is somewhat of the, the precursor to our modern day adopt a highway system. You know, this is adopt the wall. Adopt a part of the wall and apply yourself to that. And it's carried out, you know, almost to the extreme here. But it's all covered. He's done much better than we do in the adopt the highway. And Nehemiah doesn't see the need here to come in and, and micromanage the details. He recognizes that the Spirit of God is moving upon the hearts of these men. And he's come and he's painted, he's presented to them the big picture. I mean, they've seen it. I mean, they've seen it and they've been overwhelmed by it. They haven't even tried. He presents to them this big picture. There's a great task to be done. There is an appropriate strategy to implement. But the details of how it is done, he leaves to the individuals. Now, how did he divvy it up? We don't know. You know, maybe went out and said, we need somebody from here to here. He'll take that. Volunteers. He'll take this. Well, I live close by here. I'll take that. You know, but he, he didn't micromanage. He didn't go in and say, all right, this is yours, this is yours. You know, where you end up getting the wrong people in the wrong place. But he just trusted the Spirit of God moving the hearts of people as they would fit by their interests. They would fit by their groups. He didn't call the goldsmiths and the merchants together and say, why don't you guys take their Well, It seems that they took their own initiative and say, hey, let's do this as a group here. Now, these are the, the bankers. These are the people who are interested in trade. Let's do this as a group. Make our contribution as a group here. You know, the truth that we see here, again, is what a picture of the church, that, that God doesn't make us all alike, does He? We're not all alike. We don't. Obviously, we don't look alike. We don't think alike. We don't attack things, you know, with tasks to be done. We don't attack things the same way. We've got different strategies. You know, I'm a, I'm a sit back and evaluate and slow to move kind of guy. And, and, you know, Beth is some kind of, at least 
she's more quickly than I am. So she sees it. She says, let's do it. And I say, all right, let's think about it. <laughs> you know, there's just variety there, and that's fine. It's not that one is right and one is wrong. To recognize that that we are not being made conformed to the image one of another. God's not making you look like me. Aren't you glad of that? But He's conforming us to the image of Christ. He's making us all like Christ. And the amazing thing is that as diverse as we are, that somehow or another when it's all said and done, it's going to be done. You know, we get to heaven. When we get to heaven, as we are there in our glorified bodies, there perfectly conformed to the image of Christ, we're still going to be the diverse. We're going to be still be different. And that's the body of Christ even here. The, the goal here is not that we all be made to think exactly alike and do things exactly alike. We're being conformed to Him. So the issue for us becomes that I need to have grace toward my brother or toward my sister. When we're not talking about matters of Scripture, we're not talking about matters you can go to and say, this is what the Word of God says, but we're talking about matters of indifference. To give grace to my brother or sister who does things or sees things differently than I do and, and grant them the liberty that is theirs in Christ. Uh, the catchphrase has been touted by many that in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity, love. In essentials, we have unity. In the essentials of the faith, those things that define what we are as a church, we are in unity. In things of non-essentials, we grant liberty. You're free to have liberty here because the Scripture does not direct us clearly on a particular matter. It does not compel us to go this way even. But in all things, charity. So that I love my brother or my sister who differs from me on a particular issue. To do what I do as to the Lord and to respect that my brother or sister likewise does or does not do as to the Lord. Even as Paul exhorts the saints there in Rome in chapter 14 of Romans. So there's the presence of diversity and service. And finally, what else do we see here where the Spirit of God is work, working here? We see this wonderful spirit of unity. We see this diversity. But the reality is we also see the pain of vanity in some. The pain of vanity in some. Now this chapter is just so full of the positive experience of people uniting in their diversity to accomplish a great task. And then we come to verse 5. It's just kind of thrown on here and it goes on. Chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Next to him, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. Now, that's the NASB. The ESV reads this way. Their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. The New International Version. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Some have interpreted that this speaking of actually working unto the Lord, that they would not bow bow to the will of the Lord. Some have said the translation indicated that no, that it's speaking of the, those who are supervisors. So there's a, some difficulty in a clear translation here of what exactly is being said. But there is this reality: there are those who refuse to help. The New Living Translation, I think, states it out that way. Those who refused to help, either as a rejection of the leadership, perhaps Nehemiah, 
or simply seeing the work of rebuilding this wall as something too menial. This is something that I don't do. You know, there's other people for this. This this is not for me. And we see that in contrast to what we see, for example, in verse 14. You remember this guy down here in verse 14? Malchijah, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beth-Hakarim. This official of the city. Where's he working? It says he's repairing the refuse gate. Do you know what the refuse gate is? Use your imagination. And who is there working at this gate? One who would probably say, hey, I'm an official here. I can find somebody else to do this. But that's where the waste goes out. And here is an official of the city working at the refuse gate. Verse 20, in contrast to Baruch, the son of Zebiah, who was zealously repairing. You know what a testimony. What a testimony of this man that when Nehemiah records this, that here's a man, he records about this man, he was a man of zeal for, for this cause, for this work. And yet we have the reality there of verse 5, that there were those who would not support the work. They would not apply themselves. They refused to help. And that tells us a few things. I think the most obvious thing is this. As a church... The best of efforts, the most noble of causes, and the most God-honoring of tasks will not bring everyone on board. I'm resigned to that. Now, it's not that I go out and have to figure out who's going, who am I going to lose and I'm going to keep. <laughs> but I'm just resigned to the reality of the word of size. That I hope I don't have to deal with that. But you get into larger congregations and... It doesn't matter what the task. It can be something very noble. It can be the best of efforts. And it can be some of the most God-honoring tasks. But there will still be those who will not come on board. For whatever reason. You know, spiritually, spirituality is sometimes physical work. You know, we like to think about spirituality, those things we, you know, those things we do on a personal basis in our quiet time. Taking the means of grace that God's given to us, and those are absolutely an important part of our spirituality. But sometimes spirituality is physical work. In the book of Acts, when there was the need for a diaconal type ministry, the need for the, the service of tables for the widows who were being neglected, and they called for men to come and to do this menial, physical task. What was the qualification? That they be spirit-filled men. Diaconal ministry is a physical, hands-on ministry. Somewhat menial, but let me tell you something. It is a spiritual ministry. Now, we're going to set up here. We're small. We don't have deacons. We're all deacons. The elders, you know, I tell Randy and them, I say, you know, we're all involved in the diaconal ministry. It's just the way it is. That's fine. But uh, to have ministry set apart as for deacons, 
That's a very spiritual work. You know, this is a sad commentary on this particular group of people who, quite frankly, they're out of step with what God's doing here in, uh, in Jerusalem. And obviously, the, the, the glaring point would be that you're not going to bring everybody on board. I understand that. But I think there's another point that we need to catch here too. That is that none of us in this room are immune to this mentality. Do you know that? How far removed am I from being classified in verse 5 on any given day, any given task of being guilty of not supporting the work because I deem it to menial, I deem it outside my realm or whatever the case may be, but outside of, out of step with God's work. Beth and I were just talking just a few weeks ago that, you know, we can be doing so well spiritually. You know, you have one of those mountaintop experiences with the Lord. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, down it goes. And I see in my own spiritual experience that I can be so right. I can be right sometimes. But I can be so right on one moment or in one day or on one issue. And then I can be so wrong in the next moment or the next day or the next issue. That's reality, isn't it? Can't we? We can be so right one day and then so wrong the next. You know, we see that in the great confession of faith by Peter when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Oh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the great prophets. And he turned to Peter and said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter's great confession of faith, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus' words to him there that blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. In other words, you haven't figured this out on your own. It's by the Spirit of God, a great confession of faith. God has revealed this to you, and you've made this great confession of faith as a work and evidence of the Spirit of God at work within you. And then Jesus starts talking about his suffering, and Peter rebukes him. And what does Jesus say? Then the same conversation. Get behind me, Satan. Peter, who makes this great confession of faith regarding Christ, so right in one moment and so wrong in the next. So as we look at, as we see in verse 5, we need to be careful that we don't come out with this pointing fingers. We need to recognize that none of us are too far removed from this. Any given day, any given moment. And if we look back on the successes of our past and think that the safeguard for the, for the next encounter or the next trial, look out. Because you're due a fall. You know, pride comes before a fall. Let me tell you what else comes before a fall. Success. Get it right. Just be ready the next time. You're probably going to fall, fall flat on your face. Just be ready for that. You know, what a testimony here. And then the Scripture is not immune from addressing people who... 
even by name. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 verse 2 says, I urge that Euodia and Syntyche to live in harmony with the Lord. I'd like to have your name in holy writ. <laughs> as long as you're struggling to get along with somebody else in the fellowship. In 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Then 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, very painful words where Paul here speaks of a man named Alexander. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. There are certainly better ways to be remembered. So you have to ask, you know, what's the lasting impression that we leave on people? You know, these people are remembered in one verse. It's, I mean, man, Nehemiah is a man of few words. Here's what he's got to say. The nobles did not support the work of the master. That's it. There's no commentary here. There's no explanation. There's no saying, but we were involved in other good. You know, there's nothing. As I look back, just in the opportunities of ministry I've had, in ministry involved in a Christian school for a number of years, and worship leader and associate pastor, I thought, well, if, if somebody's going to look back on that and they're going to diagnose this thing, they're going to put it all in one sentence. <laughs> scary, isn't it? What's going to be the one sentence that we're going to be known for? That's kind of scary. So you have here the pain of vanity, folks. If we're going to go on as a church family, just expect we're not going to get everybody on board. But at the same time, recognize I'm not immune to this. It's very close. It's always knocking at the door. So we see the Spirit of God working mightily. There is a, a wonderful spirit of unity. There is a wonderful expression of diversity within the body of Christ, but at the same time when the Spirit of God is moving, there's also those who are cold to it, indifferent to it, and rejecting that Spirit. And the vanity remains, refusing to walk in obedience. Let me encourage you as you, again, have the opportunity today to just sit and read through this. Again, you can get into this, and this is, comes on like a chant, because there's so much, it seems like they're so similar, but the thing that stands out in this chapter is you see those points of diversity. I've just skimmed it. But the things that the Spirit of God put in the hearts of Nehemiah to communicate to us. There's much here that's, that sounds the same and looks the same, but there's much here that shows there's, there's so much diversity for the freedom of the Spirit of God. Success. God's way. Success that is received. Yes, God must give success. But at the same time, it is success achieved. We lay our hands to the task before us. And we do it. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for the opportunity to have your word speak to our hearts. And Lord, I know that there are better communicators of that truth but I trust oh God for the spirit of God to apply it to each of our hearts today Lord that we would be that church body that gives a, a demonstration of the of the unity in our diversity and that we would be free from the pain of vanity Lord help us Lord, give us grace to be servants even as we have sang earlier make us servants oh Lord 
We pray these things in Christ's name.